Bob Ambrogi. Welcome to episode 41 of This Week in Legal Blogging, presented by LexBlog. LexBlog is home to the world's largest community of legal bloggers and is the industry-leading provider of professional blogs and turnkey digital publishing solutions to lawyers and the world's largest law firms for more than 17 years. Once again, this is Bob Ambrosi, publisher uh, of the blog Law Sites. And in addition to this podcast, I host Law Next, a podcast featured focused on legal tech and innovation. Today on This Week in Legal Blogging, my guest is William Silverman. He's a partner at Proskauer, responsible for leading the firm's global pro bono efforts. And as part of that role, he is the co-editor-in-chief of Proskauer for Good, the firm's corporate social responsibility and pro bono blog. Bill, welcome to This Week in Legal Blogging. Thank you for having me. So, Bill, you are in charge of global pro bono for Proskauer. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, what is your responsibility? My job is is really to find pro bono opportunities for all of our lawyers and all of our offices and to find lawyers for our opportunities and to maximize the impact by taking on matters and using the firm's resources to further equal access to justice. Uh, how did you evolve into this position? What was your career path that, that took you into this role? I started doing pro bono early in my career. I actually remember my first appearance in family court in 1991. And in, in many ways, that kind of uh, changed my whole outlook uh, to life, to the law. But early in my career, I really wanted to be a prosecutor. And I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office and felt that that was a great life experience, great trial experience. Then became a conventional lawyer at another firm where I started running their pro bono program on top of my billable work and soon realized that my passion was for the pro bono. <laughs> and uh, then I had the opportunity to go to Proskauer where I could be full-time uh, pro bono running the program. And that was really the best professional decision I made, I've ever made. What, what what kind of conventional lawyer were you when you were a conventional lawyer? So I was a white collar um, litigator. I also did civil litigation, um, and I worked on criminal investigations. I worked on appeals. I worked on um, products liability cases. You know, I was I was happy as a billable lawyer, um, but I found with my pro bono work, my I guess my my work had more of a, a moral purpose, and I would find myself looking forward to my pro bono work a little bit more than my billable work. I bet a, a firm such as Proskauer probably gets flooded uh, with with requests for pro bono help. So how do you sort through all that? How do you set priorities? How do you make decisions about what cases to take? It's a good question because we do get emails and calls almost every day. So much unmet need for legal services out there. So we have strong relationships with um, organizations, and we tend to go back to the same organizations where we have a strong relationship. So they will approach us, we'll approach them. And I'm, no matter how busy we are, I'm always looking for a good impact case, and I'm always looking for new opportunities um, that will engage our lawyers. And is that is the scope of what you're doing global, U.S.? Where, what's the reach of that? We expect all of our lawyers to do pro bono. We ask 50 hours of each lawyer in every office across the country, across the world. 
And of course, pro bono is very local, so we have to look for opportunities in each city. But actually, now that we're all remote still, we've had many more projects where we work across offices, whereas I would in the past be very reluctant to offer New York opportunities to people, let's say in LA, where there's plenty of pro bono to do there. Now, with the opportunity, since we're all working from home, the opportunity to work together across offices has actually been, I think, a very positive thing. So I look now for opportunities where I can have people across offices work together. Are there particular kinds of cases that you do take or don't take? Well, I would say over the past four years or so, um, not surprisingly, immigration was probably 25, at least 25% of our total docket. Uh, We are also doing a lot of gun safety work and work for -for not-for-profits, a lot of COVID-related work, uh, helping small businesses. Our work in the area of racial justice has increased dramatically, and criminal justice reform has been maybe our, our largest single growing area of work. And then we do a lot of work in family courts and housing courts and you know, work for individuals seeking seeking justice, but also not, as I said, nonprofit organizations and even during COVID, especially small businesses, which have been hit very hard. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm a, I, I practice in Massachusetts and I'm a trustee of our Bar Foundation here, which is the organization that dispenses IOLTA money to legal services and other kinds of programs. And I know in Massachusetts, a, a number of firms partner with these programs to provide legal help or other kinds of help. Do you do you do that at all? Do you, are you working with third-party programs, outside programs? Absolutely. In fact, I would say that pretty much all the work we do is partnering with some organization or group. You know, we're uh, corporate lawyers, we're corporate litigators, and a lot of the work is is not necessarily completely within our expertise, so we need that organization for two purposes. One is to train our lawyers to help us supervise our lawyers, but also, and I think this is critically important, to vet the matters because we can only take so many matters. We have to, you know, how do we decide uh, which matter is more deserving? And to have an organization that helps us make those important decisions is, is absolutely critically important. As matters come in the door and you kind of go through this vetting and deciding which ones to take, what's the process of getting lawyers from the firm to handle those matters? How does that work? Well, we have some lawyers who ask us for certain opportunities, and that's pretty easy. We match them up. Other times I send emails around and I get a robust response, and that's pretty easy. And then sometimes there are matters that I feel, or my, I have two other colleagues who are full-time running the pro bono program, where we feel they're so compelling that we're just not going to say no. And so we email and we call and we talk to people until we staff the matter. And so it, it's really a combination of other people's interests and our interests and trying to take as many matters as the, the firm can facilitate. What's the scope of this? I mean, at any given time, how many pro bono matters is the firm handling? We do over 50,000 hours a year. And there are, you know, I don't know how, how many numbers of, of pro bono matters out there. It's, it's a huge number. And, and part of our responsibility, of course, is not just bringing them in but then also making sure um, that they're moving forward and that the clients are, are being served in the same manner that we serve our billable clients and that it's not just uh, the result, it's also doing it at a reasonably quick way and, and making sure that the client is fully informed. So there are, <laughs> there are a lot of matters for sure. I, I don't know to what extent you can talk about it, but are there any you can talk about recent examples of ones that you're particularly proud of or do you think had a particularly uh, beneficial result? 
Yeah, there are a few matters that come to mind. One, we've been doing a lot of work for families who had been separated at the border. And we have two families that are, I think, pretty close to being now uh, reunited. And um, I'm very excited about this work and for obvious reasons. And uh, another case where uh, we brought a lawsuit in Chicago against the city because their crosswalks were not accessible to people who were uh, vision impaired. And recently, the, the federal government, the DOJ, came in to intervene with us. And so I feel that that was a, a really important case. And the other matter I want to mention is we're doing work with the ACLU in Louisiana. They have what, what they call a justice lab, which is going after racist police practices. And right now, we're looking into the issue of warrants. And in New Orleans, one out of seven adults have a warrant out against them. And a lot of these warrants shouldn't be in the system. A lot of them are old, and, and yet they're out there, and it increases the chances that there'll be a negative interaction between the police and the public. And so we're looking into certain options in terms of, of moving forward on that issue. Wow, that's a startling number. That's amazing. Well, good for you for, for those projects and, and doing that work. So I promised that this was a show about blogging, and I've yet to ask you about the blog. You, as I said, you're co-editor-in-chief of, of Proskauer for Good, uh, which is focused on both pro bono and corporate social responsibility. So tell us about the blog. Sure. So we have a pro bono committee that meets almost every month. And during the, the one of the committee meetings, someone suggested, you know, the firm has so many blogs in so many areas, but doesn't have one in the pro bono space. And um, we immediately realized how, how good an idea it was. And uh, we decided that we would do one post a week. Now, if we had decided to do a post a month or a post every other week, I don't think anyone at the firm or outside the firm would care. But somehow we locked ourselves into a post a week. So it's been a little bit of a challenge, but it's been really a wonderful experience. And I think part of it is that, you know, in the past, when we would want to talk about an event or something that we were doing, we would issue a press release. And, you know, a press release that has no newsworthy value at all, a press release that no one would ever read just so that we could put it on our website, seemed sort of a waste of time. Whereas the blog is more substantive, it hopefully has compelling content that someone wants to read. And so it's a much better way for us to sort of share our experiences and in, in our events with, with the outside world. You, you said that decision about one post a week has proved challenging. Is the challenge uh, getting the writing done or coming up with things to write about? Uh, what, what's, what's the hard part of it? So I think the challenge is just the ideas are, are never hard to find. It's finding people who are all very busy um, to spend some time drafting and then uh, making sure that you know it's ready to go. So, so it, it's a little bit of a logistical challenge. It's not a challenge in terms of you know there are uh, an unlimited number of of stories out there and and events and, and uh, pro bono experiences and volunteer work you know that we can write about. So it's it's more just about channeling uh, people to uh, to get the work done. Yeah. So in addition to your day job of channeling people to take on pro bono cases, you have this extra job of channeling people to write, <laughs> write about the cases or write about pro bono matters. And I write, I write posts as well. In fact, uh, at one, one occasion, I went down uh, to the border to do immigration work, and I, I did three posts on my experiences down there. Oh, wow. And so it gave me, I think, a, a really good outlet to, to share 
I don't know if anyone read the post, but but it gave me a good experience to to share uh, my firsthand observations um, in a way that I otherwise wouldn't have had. And who are the other writers for the blog? Who who else contributes to it? It's really uh, anyone at the firm. Um, we we often will approach people over the summer. We have our summer associates write posts. We have pro bono interns. I think our best single blog post, which actually is part of a syllabus in at Yale Law School in a class, was uh, written with a pro bono intern. So I, I may have changed two or three words in the post, and and now it's actually uh, part of a, a law school syllabus, which obviously was a great vindication, you know, for the for the blog and for the student. What what was the uh, post about? It was about the effects and looking out for secondary trauma. So it the idea came. I had an associate who wanted to be removed from a case because he found it to be really just really difficult to take. And of course, I said, no problem. And we gave the case to someone else. But it made me realize that when you're dealing with vulnerable populations, people who have suffered unspeakable things, that that can have an effect on the lawyers who are doing work on their behalf. And so it made me think that we need to make sure that our lawyers understand that if they're suffering from any kind of secondary trauma that they get help and that there's there's nothing wrong with seeking help of course that's great when when the pro bono committee was was sitting around i take it it was probably in 2017 i think is when the blog launched and they decided we ought to have a blog why i mean what was what was the thinking about why to launch i mean so many law firms launch blogs as a marketing tool uh, primarily i assume this is not a marketing tool but maybe it does have a marketing component to it well, of course, there's a marketing component to it, but I think that if you if you simply try to market your pro bono work by touting your successes and patting yourself on the back, it may make you feel good, but no one is really going to care. No one's right. going to read it, and it's not going to be very compelling. And so right. the idea was really to to align the pro bono work with our other departments. And if you look at our other departments and you look at you know other firms, they're the lawyers want to be thought leaders. They write about current events. They write about recent decisions. They want clients to see that they're experts in a field and then call them up and hire them. And my view is there should be no difference with pro bono, that we should be viewed as a leader in, in, in the work that we do. And we should become um, aware of what's going on. And we should also use it to advocate for for change so that we're looking beyond the individual case and trying to affect change in, in a more global fashion. So does it become a little bit of a soapbox for some of the issues that you're actually working on in that regard? Absolutely. So as I said, we do a lot of immigration work. I wrote a post on the need for an independent immigration court. Again, it was just a way for us to express a strongly felt view that arose out of our immigration work. All of those court appearances before uh, immigration courts where they weren't even in a position to make the right decision because they work in the for the for the attorney general. The attorney general is the one who runs the immigration court. So the need for an, an independent court, you know, serves all of our pro bono clients. So the blog was enabled us to sort of make that bigger picture point that I think otherwise we would have had trouble, you know, sort of getting out there. You mentioned earlier that you wrote some posts uh, from the border and you remarked that you don't know if anybody read them or not. Uh, what do you know about who reads the blog? What kind of uh, feedback have you gotten from readers or do you have a sense of who's reading it? 
Yeah. So I, I was joking because we we actually look very closely at sort of the the number of clicks and how long people are are watching each post. And actually, the uh, my posts from sort of from the border were, I think, among the most popular. And we want you know to, to have wide readership, you know, obviously within the firm, but we also wanted to have wide readership out readership outside of the firm. So we do look at that um, pretty closely. And we've, we found over time, sort of engagement has has improved and increased over time. Uh, but, and do you have a sense of who, who you're engaging with through it? I mean, is it is it other lawyers? Is it people involved in the in the pro bono community? Is it legal services providers? Is it potential clients, people in need of, of, of uh, legal help? So it's really interesting because it's really all of the above. So if I were writing a conventional blog post, you know, we would want the, the audience is really, you know, clients, um, maybe some other firms, but it's really directed at sort of business development, whereas the pro bono blog has many different audiences. So we're, we're looking at legal services organizations, we're looking at educational organizations, and we're looking at, at real people who are out there who want guidance on particular legal issues. And we do get calls uh, and emails from, from people. And if we can't help, we'll certainly refer them um, to somewhere but also we're looking in some of our posts to provide guidance to other lawyers and other firms. And so we really want to position ourselves as a leader. And the more people who, who engage and read our work, um, it doesn't matter who, it, it, it's, it's all good. Yeah. Have you tracked uh, actual uh, you know, requests for help coming because of the blog to, to the firm? I mean, do, do people become aware of the blog and then say... Maybe this firm could help me with my problem. The answer is we do get a number of people who will reach out to us because of the blog or because maybe they read something else online. The problem, of course, is that we have to turn down uh, most everyone who reaches out to us on an individual basis just because, one, we don't have the resources, obviously, to help everyone. But two, we generally, as I mentioned before, do our work. Uh, that are that is vetted through you know legal services organizations. I will say this: that anyone who reaches out to us, we do try to help them, even if even if we can't help, we try to match them up with with an organization. But there are many areas of the law where there's such great need for people of limited means for legal services that something may not even count as pro bono, but is still very compelling. So sometimes it's very difficult to find people help. When you define the mission of the blog uh, and, and the purpose of the blog as as discussing both corporate social responsibility and pro bono, what was the thinking in, in having those two, obviously intersecting, but but somewhat disparate topics together? I think one mistake that, that a law firm could make is to define public service too narrowly to say that it's only about pro bono and it's only about certain kinds of pro bono work. And one thing that has always impressed me about Proskauer is that it has a, a broad definition of public service. And we have a, a director of corporate social responsibility, her name is Wendy Desi, who is responsible for the non-legal services volunteering. And that's available to our, our lawyers and to our staff. And we work very closely together because many times there are both legal and non-legal issues to deal with. And so at the end of the day, it's more about the impact and how we can use the firm's resources than trying to just do it in a, in a, in a certain way that may be more consistent with traditionally how law firms approach public service. 
And, and she and Wendy is the co-editor uh, with you of this book. Yeah. That's right. Co-editor so chief. Yeah. Some of our posts are are they get into the weeds on legal issues, and we're talking about regulations, and we're talking about changes in the law, and some other posts are highlighting nonprofit organizations, highlighting volunteer efforts. I think among the most impactful volunteer work I do personally is part of some of the educational programs that Wendy runs with um, students. I do work with high school students. I do work with college students. And um, I find that to be incredibly impactful and important. You've got a great job. Good for you. What's the, do you, have you established a workflow around the blog? I mean, do you meet regularly to talk about topics or do you, uh, you know, meet with potential writers or, or how does that whole flow work? So I think in the very beginning, we had a calendar and we would map out exactly who would do what, when, <laughs> and that worked for about two weeks. We now, now it's pretty much, I, I see if we have something for next week. And if we do, I'm happy. I always try to be at least one week ahead. And if we don't, then I scramble and I call. And so far, knock on wood, we've been pretty good about filling, filling the spots. Yeah. Are, are you out there beating the bushes for topics or are you relying on others to bring topics to you? You know, it, a lot of times a topic will flow from a particular event or something yeah. that someone's working on. But I, I did have every so often I will have a brainstorming session, you know, with with the pro bono team where we'll just throw ideas out there. And, you know, sometimes the idea is simply is, is uh, something we read in the newspaper and we always try to connect it to our work. But, you know, if it's a matter of public interest, there's probably some general connection to our work. I'm going to do a post on the legalization of marijuana. And it's not because I'm advocating uh, the use of marijuana, but I do see a very close connection with our criminal justice reform work. And even though we're not doing any marijuana specific work, I do think there's an interesting post there because um, there has been an absolutely disproportionate effect on people of color. And, and for that reason, I'm a strong advocate of legalization, even though I, I do not approved of the use uh, as a former prosecutor, but feel that the the criminalization right. um, has has led to terrible results. Right. It sounds from what you've said that you have you know a number a number of different people within the firm who contribute to the blog or write for the blog, including summer associates and, and and others. Do you give them advice? Do you have any guidance on what a blog post should be like, or or how long or short it should be, or how it should be structured? So in the beginning, I, I would, would just say, hey, get us a, a, a blog post on such and such a topic. And sometimes we would get a post that is way too long. Or With footnotes, we, right? Um, just, right. That was more like a law review article or something that just didn't make sense for a blog. So now I'm, I will give people some, some guidance, certainly in terms of the length and, and the main, some of the main points that they should cover just so that there's not you know, wasted time back and forth. I, I do think that there, although there's no one way to do it, they have to be roughly five, 500 to 750 words. They have to be to the point, and you really want to capture the reader you know, as quickly as possible and, and not sort of provide a lot of background and just sort of get to the point. And I think a lot of you know, legal writing isn't always consistent with, with good blog writing. So we, we do have to give people some guidance, yeah. I think. What was your own experience when you started this blog, with either with blogging or with writing in a you know, sort of non-legal context before that? 
Well, I, I think it's, it's been a great experience for me personally because I have a lot of view point, views on a lot of different subjects, and I like the idea of having an outlet. I do a lot of work, for example, in reforming uh, the court system and New York City family courts, and I like the ability, if, if there is a particular reform issue, to bring it to people's attention. And sometimes... When I'm meeting with people on on those efforts, they'll say, you know, I read your post on uh, the need to restructure New York's court system or whatever it is. And uh, and so it, it, it's really been a good opportunity for me in terms of my broader uh, policy work. Um, and I've spoken to other people at the firm, too, who've done posts and, and you know, many do it <laughs> because I, I ask them, but many do it because they really enjoy it. The opportunity. Yeah. So, so have you found having this blog uh, overall to be a worthwhile uh, project for you and and for the firm? Absolutely. I mean, I would recommend to any firm that's considering doing this. It, it is a lot of work, but in terms of you know impact and in terms of advocacy, um, I think it's wonderful, and I think it's also sort of a constant reminder of why we do this work. Right. We're, we're not doing this work just to sort of check a box or to get just to get hours. We're, we are doing it to, to make a difference, to have an impact. And I think by having the blog, at the very least, you you're creating a record of what you're doing. And by creating a record of what you're doing, I think it disciplines you to want to do more, to 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 want to take it kind of to the next level, because, you know, everything significant that we do in our pro bono practice it finds its way you know, onto the blog at some point. Yeah. Bill, any other advice for others who uh, are thinking about blogging or who are currently blogging? Any other thoughts on this that we haven't talked about? No, I would just add something that I mentioned before, which is to treat a pro bono program um, like any other department, right? So we don't expect any, any less from our pro bono work than we do from our billable work. We don't, you know, the corporate department doesn't say, hey, I wish I were you know, an okay department. I, I'd love to be mediocre. They want to be the best, you know, they want to be ranked the, the best corporate department. They want the best clients, the best work. And, and the same is true with pro bono. And so the same should be tr- true with our, as I said, with our thought leadership and, you know, engaging in the actual issues and not, not simply taking on individual matters, but looking them looking at them in the context of the really difficult challenges, you know, that we face as a, as a country. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like not only are you, not only do you have that kind of commitment, but it sounds like the firm is, is really committed to this in, in a major way. Well, being a pro bono partner is the greatest job in the world. There's no question about it. But being the pro bono partner at a firm that didn't care about pro bono would be the worst <laughs> job in the world. Um, so I, I'm very, uh, I feel very fortunate to work at Proskauer and I feel that um, our work is is valued, and I, I wake up in the morning and look forward to going to work, which may be the, the best compliment you can pay your employer. Well, Bill, I really appreciate your taking the time to talk with us today. We've been talking about the blog, Proskauer for Good with Bill Silverman, who is uh, the partner in charge of the global pro bono efforts at the firm Proskauer. Bill, thanks again. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Once again, that was episode 41 of This Week in Legal Blogging. 
If you haven't yet, be sure to check out our full library of shows. Uh, and uh, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, drop us a quick rating or review. We'd appreciate it. Last but not least, head over to lexblog.com slash T-W-I-L-B. That's for this week in legal blogging. For outlines of each and every show, on behalf of myself and everybody at LexBlog, thanks a lot for listening.